Hello and welcome back to The Killer Kind. Now, I realized midway through the week last week that I didn't announce that I would be on vacation last week, so there would be an episode. I am so sorry for that. I swear we'll get back on a regular schedule. I swear I'm not doing this on purpose. Life is just getting the best of me right now. But anyway, so moving on, we have a lot to get into today, so I won't waste your time with a long intro, but stay tuned to the end for my thoughts on today's case, as I always like to do, and also my thoughts on the Gabby Petito disappearance. That's pretty much everywhere right now, as it should be. It's been on my mind all week long, and I've definitely gone down the rabbit hole on this one, so definitely let me know your thoughts about it all on the podcast Instagram. I always like to chat with you guys about these cases. But today's case is another disturbing case involving a beautiful young woman. So let's just go ahead and dive into the murder of Reagan Tokes. Reagan Delaney Tokes was born on March 13, 1995 in Edgewood, Kentucky, to the parents of Toby Tokes and Lisa McCrary Tokes. Although she was born in Kentucky, she and her younger sister, Mackenzie, were raised in Maumee, Ohio. Maumee was a very small town located along the Maumee River, about 10 miles southwest of Toledo. Now, Reagan graduated from Anthony Wayne High School with a 4.5 GPA. She not only excelled in academics, she excelled in sports as well. She played on both the varsity lacrosse team and the tennis team while in high school. She was also involved in her church. She went on various mission trips. She was just so smart, gorgeous, and a kind person. She would help anyone at any time. She was just an incredible person from what I've read. Reagan graduated from high school in May 2013, and she went on to study at Ohio State University, where she wanted to go to college since she was a child. Now, originally, she wanted to do pre-med, but she realized she had more of a passion for psychology. And Reagan really knew what she wanted out of her college career. She planned on graduating in May 2017. Then she wanted to move to Cleveland, Ohio, specifically to work at the Cleveland Clinic. She planned on getting her experience in psychology there and working there long enough to be able to open her own practice. So if you can't tell, she had a lot of drive. She had her life planned out and she knew what she wanted to achieve. There was seemingly no stopping her. But sadly, her dreams and ambitions were taken from her at the young age of 21. On the evening of Wednesday, February 8, 2017, just a few short months before graduation, Reagan went to work at a restaurant and bar called Bodega in downtown Columbus, Ohio. She worked her shift like normal, and she got off work at 9.45. Now, right around 9.45, there were a few people texting her. Her parents tried getting in touch with her, but she wasn't responding. Although Reagan had texted her dad while she was at work saying that she would call him after she left. So Reagan not responding to people or calling her dad like she said she would was a little out of character for her. But nobody was too alarmed really at first. They were just thinking that maybe she had a rough night. She went straight home and went to bed. Totally understandable. Now, I'll say she had a very close relationship with her family, her immediate family, that is. 
However, soon after Reagan went off to college, her family moved to Florida. So she no longer had the ability to just drive over to see her family. The only way they communicated was through phone. So that's why it was a little odd that she wasn't responding to her parents because she made it a point to keep in contact as much as possible. So by the next morning, Toby and Lisa Tokes became worried when they still hadn't heard from her. But what really alarmed them was when they found out she hadn't made it to any of her classes that next morning. And as I mentioned earlier, Reagan took college very seriously. There's no way she would have missed a day of classes just months before graduation. Once it was determined that she hadn't made it to her classes, her parents filed a missing persons report with the hopes to find their little girl safe and sound somewhere. Her friends and family took to social media to ask for help in finding Reagan. They were just trying to get the word out and hoping that someone may have seen her or maybe someone knew where she was. Now, while this was going on, police started their own search for Reagan. They decided to start where she worked because that was the last confirmed sighting of Reagan. So they get to the restaurant and notice that there are security cameras all around the place, inside and out. While investigators were there, they asked around and co-workers confirmed she was in a great mood. She seemed to have a good night and there's just no reason that she should have gone missing immediately after leaving work. They also confirmed that she left at 9.45 p.m. So police start scanning the security footage to track her movements once her shift was over. They were trying to see if she ran into someone on her way out. Did she have some sort of altercation? Did she make it to her car at all and drive off? I mean, anything at all. Unfortunately, they were able to see Reagan walking towards the direction of her car, but she ends up walking out of frame. So the cameras did not end up reaching the area where she was actually parked. Which is so beyond frustrating for police, I'm sure. Because I'm sure they were excited that they could see her leaving the restaurant. But then their confidence just drops when she walks out of frame and there's no other sightings of Reagan. I mean, I can't imagine being in their position. Police continue their efforts by obtaining her phone records to see if she was communicating with someone at the time she left. Was she receiving phone calls or strange text messages from someone? And everything appeared normal, but the last message her phone received was at 10.30 p.m. After that, no other messages or calls went through, basically meaning her phone was either turned off or it died after 10.30 that night. And even though she received that message at 10.30, she did not respond to it. So we can assume she didn't have her phone or wasn't able to use her phone at 10.30 p.m. So what happened after she left that restaurant? No one knew. And everyone from the restaurant to her friends and family were very, very concerned and starting to think the worst. Sadly, Reagan's fate came to light the following day that she was last seen. At 1 p.m. on February 9th, 2017, two people at Scioto Grove Metro Park made a gruesome discovery of a naked female body lying near the entrance of the park with an apparent gunshot wound to the head. Police were immediately called to the scene and they were able to identify the body pretty quickly due to a visible tattoo and a necklace they knew belonged to Reagan Tokes. 
Now, although police were positive it was Reagan, they still had to go through standard protocol of having the autopsy done as well as a family member identify the body. Luckily, her uncle actually lived nearby, so he had the unfortunate opportunity to identify his niece's deceased body. I just pray right now that that is something I nor any one of you listening have to do. Um, I just can't imagine having to be the one to do that. But investigators were able to determine that Reagan had two gunshot wounds to her head. But other than that, there were no other clues as to what happened at the scene nor on her body. However, it was determined that she was sexually assaulted. A forensic pathologist later testified that two bullets were discovered from Reagan's head during the autopsy. The pathologist also said that one of the gunshot wounds she suffered was fired at close range. But that doesn't really help investigators determine what happened leading up to the gunshot. The question is why and and who did this? There was no way to tell if this was someone she knew, if it was a random act of violence. She was found completely unclothed, and her clothing was nowhere to be found around her. And her 1999 silver Acura was missing as well. So that's kind of the direction the police took once the body was found. They actually put out a bolo on her car. She had a specific Miami Dolphins sticker on the windshield, so their hope was that it'd be pretty easy to find Reagan's car. And the car was important here because it would likely lend some clues as to what happened because the car wasn't in the area where her body was dumped. It seems the killer or somebody involved in the crime had to have driven Reagan's car. And there would hopefully be DNA inside that car or other clues inside the vehicle leading to who did this. And sure enough, shortly after the bolo was put out, her car was found abandoned in southeast Columbus, Ohio. And there were a few things found concerning. One being the fact that her personal items she left work with were not found in the car like they had hoped. Her purse, her cell phone, nothing. So, the initial thought was, where's all of her stuff? Where's her personal belongings? Were they dumped somewhere else entirely, or were they still with the killer? Now, a gas can was found inside the car, which was not something Reagan ever carried around. And then they found some cigarette butts. I can't confirm if they were found inside the car or outside the car, just kind of like right next to it. I saw kind of mixed reviews on this or mixed reports on this. So, but either way, police collected the cigarette butts for evidence. The person that actually found the car called the main detective on the case and said he could see cigarette butts around the car, inside the car. Again, mixed reviews. And everyone knew that Reagan did not smoke. She was an athlete. There is no way she would have smoked cigarettes. So, the detective was pumped thinking this was their smoking gun. They sent the cigarette butts off for DNA testing, and sure enough, the DNA came back to a 29-year-old registered sex offender, Brian Lee Goldsby. So, who is Brian Goldsby? He basically has a rap sheet a mile and a half long. He started committing crimes as a teenager, crimes including trespassing, theft, shoplifting, and threatening his mother with a knife, and... According to a juvenile sex offender assessment filed by the Ohio Department of Youth Services, 
Brian Goldsby also sexually assaulted young girls and boys and was a member of the Crips gang during his youth. He was just a horrible person all the way around. In November 2010, Brian abducted a woman who was eight months pregnant at the time and had her two-year-old son with her. He came up behind her and put a knife to her throat. Now, I won't get into everything he did because I can't bring myself to say it. I know this is a true crime podcast and I say things that I don't want to all the time, but this isn't exactly relevant to this case, so I don't need to go into detail here. But I will say that he forced the woman to drive him to the ATM to withdraw money. The victim in that crime refused to testify out of fear for her and her child's lives. So Brian pleaded down to robbery and attempted rape in May 2011 for that crime. He was sentenced to six years in prison for the robbery charge and six years for the attempted rape charge. Now, the sentences ran concurrently, which just pisses me off. That means he was only in prison for a total of six years rather than 12 years for both charges, which you would think makes sense. On top of that, the six months he had spent in jail prior to the plea bargain counted as part of his six-year sentence. So instead of being released six years after the plea, in May 2017, he was released five and a half years in November 2016. I feel like I don't even have to say this, but it's infuriating that this man was out of prison and able to commit the murder of Reagan Tokes. Now, I'll get more into what all he did before this, from the time that he was released up until the time he killed Reagan, because sadly, Reagan was not some one-off crime. He had basically been on a crime spree, but like I said, we'll get into that. Now, a huge SWAT team was sent to this halfway house to retrieve Brian. They immediately arrested and charged him with aggravated murder, aggravated kidnapping, and aggravated robbery on February 11th. So, unlike most cases that I cover here on The Killer Kind, police wasted no time in getting this man off the streets. It was just a few days from the time Reagan was last seen to the day they arrested and charged this man. When they got Brian into the interrogation room, he admitted to seeing Reagan the night of the 8th as she was leaving the restaurant. He said he saw her, he spoke to her, but that was it. He claimed he didn't do anything else, saying he did not hurt her, let alone kill her. However, what Brian didn't know was that police had pulled Reagan's bank records, and they had determined that the night she went missing, her card was used to withdraw $60 from a Chase bank. And that bank had a security camera at the ATM, like most do. And Reagan can be seen using her card to withdraw the money. However, Brian Goldsby can also be seen sitting behind her holding a gun. And we know this is something that Brian has done before. In fact, he had done this multiple times, just since he was released from prison. I said we'd come back to this. So on January 24th, just two months since being released, he robbed a woman at Knife Point and got away with $3. Congrats to you. On January 27th, he robbed a woman for some gift cards. On February 1st, he robbed a man taking $20. Then he sadly upped his game a little on February 2nd when he abducted a man and forced him to drive to an ATM at gunpoint. 
That time he got away with $500. There were two more incidents where he robbed two different women on February 6th and 7th. He was basically, like I said, on a crime spree. There is just no other way to put it. Detective Rick Forney told Brian they had him on a camera at the Chase Bank with Reagan. And that's when he changed his story, obviously. And confessed to kidnapping her to get money. But he claimed that's it. That he let her go and that was the end of it. However, he didn't make it look too good for himself when he said that he dropped her off at the Scioto Grove Metro Park where her body was found. Once he said that, police kind of kept pushing because based on the information they had, it wasn't really enough to convict him of the crime of murder. It just proved that Brian was with her at some point that night. Detective Forney suggested that Goldsby must have had an accomplice. Now, when I first started reading about the accomplice situation, I didn't fully understand at first why they suggested that. I even like said that to myself. Maybe they just wanted to make him slip up and say something more about what happened, something to implement himself more, and I was right. <laughs> I guess I should trust investigators a little bit more than I do sometimes. <laughs> Reagan was blessed with good investigators on this one. That's all I'm going to say. But anyways, once they suggested an accomplice, Goldsby started word vomiting. He said that a man named TJ demanded money from him and told him he would harm his children if he didn't give him any. He said that the three of them got in the car, but that they took TJ straight to the park where Reagan's body was found. And it was after that that him and Reagan left alone to a gas station to get the gas can that was found in the car later. And then to the ATM where he was seen on surveillance footage. He said after that, the two went back to the park where TJ was. And that is when he said that TJ forced him to sexually assault Reagan at gunpoint inside the car. He said, quote, I wanted to just run and call the cops. I could have, but at the same time, I didn't want to put my babies in jeopardy. He went on to say that before leaving the park, TJ forced Reagan out of the car. He made her undress and told her to start walking with her hands behind her back. That is when Brian said that TJ shot her in the head twice. Y'all, investigators obviously saw right through this story. However, they pretended to believe him the whole time. He went on to say that after this TJ guy killed Reagan, Brian took him to a nearby apartment complex called The Continent and dropped him off, and that was the end of this horrific night. Now, the reality is they had enough to prove that Brian was at the crime scene. He at least sexually assaulted Reagan because they got the sexual assault test back and the DNA matched that of Brian Goldsby, so that part's confirmed. At this point, they had DNA tying him to the car, DNA tying him to the assault, and all that was left was something that specifically tied him to the actual murder. Well, when they brought Brian in, they got just that. They took a sweater from him that they believed he wore the night of the crime. And when they got that tested, they found gunshot residue on the sweater. But wait, there's more. <laughs> this fool... Also had an ankle monitor on. That's right, an ankle monitor that tracks your every move. 
And I want to dive into that a little bit. So the GPS data on the ankle monitor showed that he walked around Ohio State's campus for a while. And then he went to North High Street. At that point, it was 7.30 p.m. And it appears he gets on a bus. And I'll say it basically monitored his speed. So he went from like a walking pace to like a car vehicle pace. But it was confirmed that it was a bus by surveillance footage found on the bus that Brian got onto. He travels downtown and gets dropped off near the bodega where Reagan was working. GPS data showed he walked around bodega, basically circling the restaurant for about an hour. It's assumed he was just looking for his next victim in his crime spree I mentioned. At 9.45 p.m., Reagan leaves the bodega and walks to her car. It's at that point, Reagan runs into Brian Goldsby, who forces her into her car at gunpoint and abducts her. The GPS tracking showed they drove to two different ATMs, the first being Chase Bank at 10.02 p.m., where he tried to withdraw $500, but luckily was unsuccessful. The second ATM they stopped at was a Huntington Bank at 10.14 p.m. It's unclear how much money, if any, was retrieved at the second ATM. At 10.18 p.m., Brian and Reagan were stopped in an alleyway and were there for 12 minutes. As painful as it is to think about, this was likely the moment that Reagan was sexually assaulted. After leaving the alleyway, they drove back to the Chase Bank, and that's where the surveillance cameras caught Reagan withdrawing $60 at gunpoint. GPS data then showed them going to two gas stations, one at 11.12 p.m. and another at 11.41 p.m. Now, at one of these gas stations, it was confirmed that Brian was the only one who went inside. There was no sign of Reagan. So, one can only assume that she was either not alive at this point or at least unconscious. I mean, there's no way a kidnapper is going to leave their victim in the car unless they were certain that the victim was not able to move or get out of the vehicle. But anyways, just nine minutes after the last stop at the gas station, Goldsby arrived at the Scioto Grove Metro Park, and he only remained there for four minutes. Now, Brian made a few more stops after leaving Reagan's body at the park. It appeared that Brian went to the home of a 20-year-old female friend. Some have called her his girlfriend, but I've also read that he had only recently met her and that they were specifically just friends. Now, I lean more towards a girlfriend, and I'll kind of explain why here in a minute, but First, I'll say that it appeared that he picked up his girlfriend and together they went to McDonald's at 1.45 a.m. Police did track down this female and they called her in for questioning. And when she arrived at the police station, she was carrying Reagan's black Kate Spade purse as well as a white wallet that belonged to Reagan as well. The girl told investigators that Goldsby gave her the wallet and purse as a gift the night Reagan was abducted. It still had Reagan's planner inside as well as some receipts from places that she had recently been to. I mean, not that investigators needed anything else to steal the deal here, but that was one final nail in Brian Goldsby's coffin. 
The young woman went on to say that Brian showed up in a silver car with a Miami Dolphins sticker. She said she had never seen the car before. She said she had never known Brian to have a car before. He was always being driven around by friends or taking public transportation. She said that while the two were together, he showed her a gun, but that she didn't ask any questions. She said her mom told her to stay away from guns, so she didn't ever ask anybody. She didn't ask him about it. And her story matched the ankle monitor tracker, so she was free to go. The GPS data then showed Brian leaving his girlfriend's apartment and going to the 700 block of Oakwood Avenue, where Reagan's car was later found. On February 23rd, 2018, the jury selection for the trial began. Defense attorneys had requested a change of venue due to the mass amount of media coverage that surrounded in this case, even in such a short time. But thankfully, Judge Mark Sorrow, I am guessing at that pronunciation, sorry if I butchered it, but luckily he denied the defense's request. The trial itself began on March 5th, 2018, and the young woman who Brian gave Reagan's purse to took the stand pretty early on in the trial, and she tried to tell an entirely different story than the one she told to police on February 16th when they brought her in for questioning the first time. She tried to say that she met Brian sometime between 8 and 9 p.m., not midnight, like she originally stated. She tried to say that she saw Brian with the gun a week prior to the murder, and there were two other people in the car with them then. The prosecution was quick to bring up their interview on the 16th, and she was basically like, oh, yeah, you're right, like, my bad, I had it wrong. It was very weird. I don't know if maybe Brian threatened her or something and made her change her story or what now all the dna evidence was presented to the jury as well as a video of brian's interrogation with detective forney on the final day of trial brian's friend and mother of his child testified saying he confessed to the crime to her the prosecutor said that brian simply murdered reagan to avoid being caught and charged with sexual assault and robbery But the defense team argued that Brian wasn't smart enough to plan Reagan's murder and instead killed her as a result of panic, which isn't much of a defense to me. To me, that sounds like what the prosecution was saying. He killed her because he was nervous to get caught, but whatever. On March 13th, the day that would have been Reagan's 23rd birthday, which is just heartbreaking to even think about. Brian Goldsby was convicted on all accounts. When it came to sentencing, the jurors were split. Basically, four voted life in prison and eight voted for the death penalty. Ultimately, Judge Mark Sorrow sentenced Goldsby to life in prison without the possibility of parole. During trial, Brian's defense team tried to say that Brian's actions were a result of his horrific upbringing, his past physical and sexual abuse that I didn't want to get into really, but he claimed to be a part of his wrongdoings throughout the years. However, the judge told Goldsby that, quote, Reagan did not do anything wrong whatsoever, and yet she forfeited her life because of your background. After being sentenced to life in prison, he pleaded guilty to six robberies that occurred before Reagan's death that I mentioned earlier. 
Brian Goldsby is currently incarcerated at the Ohio State Penitentiary where he will rot for the rest of his life. I'm sure that you are disgusted, angry, and upset just like I am, or at least I hope that you are. The fact that this man was out of prison for barely two months when he committed six violent robberies, sexual assaults, and one murder is just infuriating. How does someone like him get out of prison? Seemingly early. It's my understanding that he was a terrible inmate during those six years. He hid contraband. He got into fights. How does somebody like him get out on time or early? It's just disturbing to me. And poor Reagan did nothing wrong, just like that judge said. I wanted this case to be a lesson to all women out there. But the reality is sometimes we're just at the wrong place at the wrong time and not even women I mean men too he robbed and abducted men as well but I'm sure Reagan made that walk to her car multiple times and never had a problem never felt worried about her safety sometimes there's just evil people out there that we can't avoid and I just want to pray for her family too you know, what all they went through is just heart-wrenching, I'm sure. Having to know exactly what she went through in her final hours, I just, I can't imagine having to live with that thought day after day because I know it would be on your brain as much as you would try to not think about it. And I pray they don't. I pray they get peace. I pray that they're, you know, comforted by the fact that this man is locked away forever. But again, I can't imagine going through that. So I pray for them as well. Now, as always, please head over to the podcast Instagram page to leave your thoughts on today's episode. And before we close out today, I want to briefly mention the Gabby Petito case. This would not be a true crime podcast if I did not at least mention it this week. If you're not living under a rock, I'm sure you've heard about it. This case is everywhere right now, as it should be. I thought about giving my thoughts and briefly going over the facts of the case up until this point, but honestly, so much has happened even in the last couple days. I don't want to misspeak, and I'm sure new details will come out about this case before most of you even listen to this episode. So I'm going to wait and hopefully do a full episode on this case in the future when there's more concrete facts or hopefully when more comes to light. A very brief overview for those who may not know what I'm talking about. A young girl by the name of Gabby Petito was traveling in a van with her fiance, Brian Loundery, I believe. Brian came home about a week ago or so, maybe a little bit over, quickly got a lawyer, and Gabby was reported missing. A police video surfaced of Gabby saying that Brian had hit her, yet she did seem a little erratic, um, didn't seem to be taken seriously by police at the time. Several people have taken a TikTok and reported to police that they saw Brian and Gabby camping. The couple was acting very strange or Gabby was seen covering her face with a hoodie at one campsite, just kind of acting weird. Then there were these two, these two women that were killed in or around the same campsite that Gabby and Brian were last seen together. So people are speculating that Brian killed Gabby as well as these two women. And as of right now, 
a body that matched the description of Gabby was found, but the FBI and investigators aren't really saying or confirming if that was her or not. I don't know if they know yet or if they're just waiting on the autopsy. I'm not really sure where that stands. But at the same time, Brian has since gone missing, seemingly hiding in a wooded area to avoid the mob of people and the media camped outside his house, as well as hiding maybe from the truth of what happened to Gabby. So that is a whole rabbit hole I've been diving into all week, even on vacation. So I would love to cover it. Let me know if that's something that you want to hear. But with that said, guys... I'll be back here in two weeks with our very first Halloween episode of the year. I am pumped. Favorite time of the year. I've gotten a few requests from some Halloween episodes, so I'm excited to dive into those for you. But if you have any other case suggestions for the Halloween season, or if you have some Thanksgiving cases or Christmas cases you want me to cover, go ahead and send those over and I'll start looking into those. But with all that said, that's going to do it for me with this week, guys. I'll be back here in two weeks. Until then, stay safe out there, please.